Well, good morning. I feel like I've been here like 17 times up here and like re-greeting you. Okay, so now here's my new job. Okay. Um, All right, well, today I'm actually just kind of going to finish up the message from last week, but really it's kind of a brand new message. Last week is more like this preliminary pregame to really what I needed to say today. Um, Last week we talked about powerless mindsets and how a powerless mindset can affect the way we serve in our church. Powerless mindset can affect the way we parent. Um, Really, honestly, a powerless mindset affects basically every area of our life, but I was particularly talking about those areas. Um, But today we're actually going to talk about how, um, we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about how church is a family, if we want to start that. Church is a family, and I love how God sets us up, because in worship today we were talking about heaven touching earth. I don't know if you realize this, but family is a heavenly concept. Like, God made it. He created it. We're all brothers and sisters in the faith, and, you know, we're adopted as sons and daughters. Like, this is, this is a heavenly concept. So heaven is touching earth today through the word of, of understanding that church is a family. And um, I, um, I'm going to be telling you some stories today about my life and and some things that I've gone through, because I, I have to tell you that I have really not done this well. I mean, it's, I haven't. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who's pretty, pretty good at vulnerability. You know, I don't mind sharing things about my life. Sometimes I'm an oversharer. If you've ever been the victim of me oversharing, you know, sometimes it's like, I didn't need to know that about you. Okay. okay. But, you know, I've been through a lot, and uh, my life is it's pretty awesome. He's a, uh, my life is a cool testimony of Jesus. I just forget that I've received a whole lot of emotional healing from the things that I've went through. And so if I tell somebody a story about my past, like they are wearing my shame that I already got rid of. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to overshare, but I am going to talk about some places where I have failed, where I've been weak, where I've struggled, and hopefully so that I can just kind of model what that looks like, that it's okay to say I haven't done it well. Okay, and probably what's going to happen is some of you guys are going to be like, oh, yeah, Shelly, you did do that to me. (laughs) Now, if you forgive me in your heart, don't come tell me about it later. Like, you know, what? I was mad at you for like three years, but I'm over it now. (laughs) Please don't do that. I don't need to know. Just be not mad anymore. (laughs) Just let it go. Now, if you need to confront me and say, you did this to me and I'm sad about it and I need to know what you were thinking. Yes, then you can come to me. Okay, but if if it's all good, I don't want to know. That's not really I do. I want to grow, but okay, so I want to make sure that I stick to my notes today because I've rearranged my notes 16 times. This message has been on my heart, not kidding, since like October. Started writing it probably way back then. I have revised these notes 17 times and rearranged it Um, just simply because um, God keeps showing me more, and I keep failing in certain places. (laughs) and teaching me something like, oh, didn't get that one, (laughs) better add that. So um, anyway, I'm going to stick very heavy to my notes because um, because it's been rearranged, and and I want to just stay true to what God has, (laughs) the final draft. So um, so I'm going to assume that you know and believe me that church is a family, um, and that that is a heavenly concept, and that is part of heaven touching earth, but if not, I'll show you some scripture. Um, Here in in Galatians 3.26, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. (sighs) Amen. 
It is. We are. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I just think that's really awesome. We are a family. Guys, we are not an organization. We're not a good guy club. We're not a business. We're not a restaurant. We're not selling goods. There's not a consumer and a supplier of goods. We are a family. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we can approach church, church family, as consumers. What can you do for me? What do you have that I need? What, what are you going to do for me? How are you going to serve me? And, um, and that's just not what you do in a family. You know, in a family, I mean, if it's, if it's, if it's a good family or whatever, you know, we, we do things together. You take out the trash because it needs to be taken out, right? Uh, you change diapers because you're tired of smelling the poo, okay? You, um, you wash the car because it needs to be done. You just see a need, you fill a need. It's not like, oh, I just don't feel called to take out the trash. <laughs> so, <laughs> it just is what it is, okay? And so, so if we approached our family like a business, like, like we do these days as a business, can you imagine how that would go? Can you imagine if you as a husband gave your wife a Yelp review on dinner? <laughs> the meatloaf was a little dry this time, and I really wish she would have da-da-da. We, we just don't do that. I mean, not everybody is awesome like my husband and asks for feedback. Did you guys see my Facebook post? Anyway, but... Um, so, but we just don't do that. We don't do that as a family. We don't, um, we just do what needs to be done. And I could preach an entire message about how because we're a family, we just do the work and don't complain. An entire message. However, that is not my message today. Because the message today is because we're a family, uh, we need to relate well. We need to function in relationship well. And that is where I'm right in the middle of. I am right in the middle of this with you. I am right in the middle of understanding just how badly I have failed at loving people, how badly I have failed in, you know, just being me. But anyway, so, but, but, this is the thing, is that when we think about it, when we think about, ooh, church is a family, you know, we're like, ah, that makes me feel so warm. I just love that. It's this beautiful notion. And, and really, that's all fine and good until you realize that in a family, what I do affects you. And what you do affects me. First uh, Corinthians 12.26 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now that completely throws out the, um, you know, that thing that says, well, it just doesn't matter. I mean, my sin is my sin. I'm not affecting anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. And that's not true. It does. Because what you do affects me and what I do affects you. It does. It matters. It does matter. And we all know that this is true in, in your biological family, like the family that you came from, your family of origin or the family that you currently have now. You already know 
that if one member is suffering, they're going to make it awful for everybody in the family, right? And um, it, that's just how it is. And if one member is honored or one member has joy, then, then, you know, we all rejoice together. You know, dad gets a promotion. We all go out to eat. We all get to rejoice together. That's how that functions in our natural family. But that is how it works in our church and um, in, in every church family. But I, this is where I'm going to get vulnerable here. I didn't like that at all. I didn't like, now, I loved rejoicing together. I love celebrating when other people do well or succeed. I actually love that. I love watching people move forward in God and things like that. I don't like to suffer because you made me suffer. <laughs> it's like, I can love you in your mess and in your sin or whatever, as soon as that begins to affect me, I'm like, I'm out. I don't like that. Can't handle it. And, um, and really, you know, really I think we all are that way to a degree, but that's really not gospel love. It's not gospel love. It is worldly love. It's saying, I'll love you as long as you're good to me. But as soon as your mess begins to affect me, I'm just going to run away. And that is right where I am in the middle of, you know, trying to grow. But it comes from, it comes from my filter, and it comes from my grid. It comes from my family of origin, which we're going to talk about in a second. But there have been times in my life when other people's messes hurt me and affected me in a really bad way. And I took that pain and that wound into my church family. And it made, me really, it made it really hard for me to go, you know, like it's like something in my brain would get set off. I'd get triggered. I'd go, ooh, what you're doing is scary. What you're doing is going to hurt me. Ooh, what you're going to do is going to cause me pain. I can't go through pain again. I've already lived through a whole lot of pain in my life. I don't want to do that. And so then we rise up with fear and we rise up with control. And we either build up the walls, you know, and we go, I'm out. Or we try to control and fix and manipulate. That's a whole other message in itself as well. But we all come into our church family with a filter, with lenses that were established in our family of origin. And that's how it's supposed to be. It is supposed to be that way. Our natural family is supposed, is supposed to rightly represent the kingdom of God. And more specifically in this in instance, in the church, it is this is God's design. It's how he set, it, set us up so that we would be loved and, and honored within our family unit and then we would join God's family and we would function well together. Now, that's great, except there is a bit of a problem because most of us don't have a grid for how a healthy, functioning family should operate. In fact, most of us come from dysfunction. And our, our filter quickly becomes a powerless mindset, like we talked about last week. The, that filter that you, that you use, that you get from your family of origin, is it affects your marriage, your friendships, your parenting, how you view your church family. So if during your upbringing you felt disconnected, rejected, passed over, unimportant, used and abused, 
you will reject or you will project that onto your current church experience and even onto your current family but that's again a whole nother message but you can keep it all covered up you know you can keep your dysfunction that you came in with you can hide that pretty well until the sifting comes like it came in the fall okay so let me just tell you my my family or my story my family of origin Okay, so um, I, I came out of a wonderful family. My dad, I love my dad, I love my mom. Amazing, amazing family. But we were as codependent and dysfunctional as they come. I mean, it just was what it was. Like, my mom and I were both the victims, you know, the victim mentality. My sister and my dad were the rescuers. So we just, like, we were just in this perfect little dysfunction all the time. And, um, but we were happy, it was fine. We didn't know any different. Um, but being a victim is basically wanting others to make all my decisions for me so that I don't have to make a decision that might be risky and I might make a mistake. I'd rather you make my decisions for me so I can blame you when it goes bad. Now, if you want to know more about the codependent cycle and victim and rescuers, you are going to order the book right now, Keep Your Love On, by Danny Silk. Talked a little bit about that last week. But, you know, that was my... That was my uh, where I came from. So, but I got saved at age 25. After years of brokenness and despair, I mean, I went down this whole line of sin world for like eight years. But, um, but I got saved about right there in this church 15 years ago. And, um, and I loved Jesus and I loved my church. Like, it did not even occur to me that we were weird because I didn't know any better. I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know that people didn't do this. I was like, man, this is awesome, you know? But I loved my church family too. And then my sister got saved. My sister and brother-in-law got saved the same day I did. My parents got saved a week later. So, I mean, it was just this amazing, because they were like, okay, Shelly can love Jesus, like he's real. So, um, so my whole church experience became intermingled with my family, you know, and it was just amazing. It was really good, and we all began to grow together, and, and it was really awesome. And, um, and I began to function, you know, in my calling and start to do things that I love to do. I, um, uh, I was a connect group leader. I taught faith foundations classes. Eventually, I would preach on Sunday mornings. I started Flip 180. I served in every children's ministry area, all of those things. But there was a real problem that I had that I was not talking about or bringing up or dealing with at all, is that I had some real trust issues. Um, I had trust issues with leadership. I just thought that people in authority over me were going to hurt me. And they were going to, they didn't really want me there. And that they were going to, I don't know what it was. It was just this lack of trust that I had. Um, I hated feedback in any way. I mean, I did not want you to tell me how I could have done it better. I'd be like, don't, just don't. Um, it just would create such deep levels of shame for me. I had no ability to confront people when I felt wronged. Whew. And whenever I did have to do conflict, it was not pretty. You can ask Michelle, probably did that a few times. Um, I secretly thought everyone thought I was stupid and hated me. I mean, because I came in with such deep levels of insecurity. And I would, you know, you know how you do that thing where you replay conversations over and over in your mind because you're like certain you sounded like an idiot? You know, those things. These, this is how I lived my life. Even though I was functioning 
doing the work. I was doing the work in the family. I was trying to relate to people in my family, but I was so dysfunctional inside of myself that I could not have a good relationship. And if I did have a good relationship, I was suspicious of it. What do you want from me? How are you going to hurt me? When are you going to, when is the bomb going to drop? And when are you going to secretly tell me that actually (laughs) you're talking about me and you hate me? I mean, this was what I, and so I was fighting all the time. I was constantly fighting myself and my own emotions. And so then it happened. I had, I experienced a deep relational hurt, a deep relational hurt. And I perceived, it was like, it was like, I knew it. I knew it. I'm not wanted. I'm not welcome. Nobody loves me. And I manifested. (laughs) I mean, I I had a mental breakdown, I think. Uh, I'm sure of it. So, um, but, but (laughs) but I perceived that it was coming from people that I deeply loved. That's how I perceived where it was coming from. So I spent two months crying, two months crying from the time that I woke up to the time I went to bed, not playing. Um, I withdrew from everything. You remember that time, don't you? Um, I withdrew from everything, everything. I pulled back from everything. And at this time is when I was leading Flip 180 and I felt like the Lord had told me to step down from that so that I could heal and take some time. So we're talking, this was like eight years ago, I think, maybe six. So, um, so because I was in so much pain, I really thought that if I isolated myself and that if I created space and just got alone with the Lord, that it would make me feel better. I was so wrong. Because do you know what that's called? isolation. And that is a dangerous place to be. The last thing that you want to do when you are feeling pain is to pull away from the people who love you. And so here I was in this, in my isolation. This is my space time, right? Okay, so do you know what isolation and space does for you? Do you know what it does? It gives you plenty of time to realize how much goes on without you. They didn't need me. I am every fear that I ever thought that I had, every bit of identity that I was getting in all the works that I was doing was now coming back at me. They didn't need you. They're doing just fine without you. This church works great without you. And I was like, ow. And it was the darkest time in my life. and, And I'm telling you, This is the truth. And if you know my pre-Jesus days, you have to know how dark my life was at one time. This was the darkest time of my life is when I isolated myself from my family, my church family. And I don't know what happened. Well, I do know what happened. Uh, Jesus happened. (laughs) And um, I started pressing in and I said, you know what, I can't can't take this isolation and pain anymore. And uh, I need some emotional healing. And, um, you know, I'm the poster child for emotional healing. I'm, I've been blowing that trumpet for a long time, but I did. I got some major um, emotional healing. I went to the mountain um, at Restoring the Foundations. But I cried a lot of tears, a lot, a lot of tears. I, and it was supernatural. But here's what began to happen. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, you're doing it for me, aren't you? I love, thank you. So, um, so here's what began to happen. 
was that um, at some point, my heart just began to heal. And I came to this realization, because there's this part of me that was like, uh, yeah, this, God's going to pour out his spirit on this place, whether I come on board or not. God has a plan for this house. And, and, and listen, and I don't mean this mean. You have to understand that I mean this with every ounce of love in my heart is that he's going to do it with you or without you. So you can either partner with what he's doing and get on board and just go, okay, Lord, it's not about me. I'm just going to cooperate with you and I'm going to do what you want me to do because that's what I had to figure out. Literally, I, if I was gone... It take, I'm sure you guys would miss me just a little, but somebody would rise up. God would choose somebody to do it. And so it was that thing in me where I was like, number one, this is my family. Like that's what began to rose up in me. I am never leaving this place. I'm never leaving. Now you're going to send me out and that's all great, but I'm never leaving this place. This is my family. I, this is part of, I, I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that this is my family. And, and, um, and God's going to do this thing with me or without me. And I was like, it was that FOMO. I was like, I don't want to miss out on what God's doing. I want to be a part of that. And at the same time that that began to happen to me, I began to humble myself and go, it's not about me. It's about what God wants to do. And, um, that God began to humble me that I realized that, that, um, that, that I began to heal from the wounds and the hurts that I had. Um, with the fathers of this house, with, with people, with, with, you know, relational hurts. And I just began to go, uh, this is it. This is, I, this is my family. And I have to work it out and I have to figure it out. So I began to see my church family differently over the last few years. And, and it's just this understanding that, that this place is for me that God is for me, that my leaders are for me, you guys are for me, whether, I believe that in you, whether you actually are or not, I believe you're for me. I do. And so, anyway, so I've been on this journey of finding out what it looks like. And that has not really been very easy, okay? (laughs) Like, that's when I began to go, this is my family. I'm never leaving. I can break down my walls. I don't have to isolate. I can be in relationship. But then I'm like, I don't know how to be in relationship. I don't know what that looks like. I'm coming in with dysfunction still. I've gotten healing to some measure, but I'm still a little dysfunctional when it comes to relating and trusting, and I'm working on it. So, so what does an interdependent healthy family even look like? So you're probably wondering, you know, like, you know, many of us, because we came from dysfunction, we're like, I don't even know what a healthy and, and um, functional family looks like. So in Malachi, it talks about, behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Whoa, that's saying a lot. We're going to focus on that first part. So um, what I see here is that, is that in the last days, God is going to begin to turn hearts towards each other, that we're going to be for each other and not against each other. Fathers are going to be for the kids, and kids are going to be for the fathers. And this is for natural families, and this is for church families. 
This is for us as a family. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And this is how we're supposed to treat each other. So I kind of made this, oh, thank you. Actually, go back to, I made this like utopic list of this is how it should be. (laughs) This is how we should parent. And this is how we should be as children. And so, Anyway, uh, so it's really, it's just from my brain, and so you can take it or leave it. But this, this is what I would like to think how it should be. So from the parents, we would have lots of encouragement, room for mistakes, a boldness to correct and confront with love. How many times do we Ahab and not say something when we know we should? A high standard of behavior and excellence. They should be approachable, but also revered. And they should also speak identity into the children so that they can fulfill their destiny, not for their own personal gain, but for the benefit of the kingdom as a whole. So from the children, there will be messes, mishaps, and mistakes. But there will also be a willing heart to receive correction, to learn, and to clean up messes. They would have a heart of service to the family and the parents, benefiting the family as a whole. They would have a boldness to walk in their calling so that the kingdom can be advanced. And they will look out for each other, guarding, cheering each other on, and helping catapult each other into your dreams. So how are we doing with that? I want us to begin to get a little bit introspective as I begin to talk Because I want you to begin to ask yourself, how did my family of origin affect my current church relationships? What is the overall feeling that you have about being in this family? What filters or powerless mindsets have you brought in from your family of origin? And how has that affected the perception of your relationships? Now, I'm not trying to be offensive or do like this parent bashing session, you know, because I'm going to start poking at where things came from. Uh, This is not absolutely, it's not, it just is what it is because it's more about how you perceived it than about how it really was. Because if you perceive it, it feels true and it's still a lie. So we're not doing that. We're not doing any parent bashing. We're just talking about like what, how did I feel growing up? And what did I bring into this church family that, that still has that same per- perception and that same um, filter? And depending on your level of woundedness, the poking's going to differ because I'm going to poke a little bit. So if you have, it's just like in the natural, you know, if you have an ingrown toenail, right, and it's all pus-filled and it's hurt and it's painful, somebody just barely bumps into your shoe, you're like, it's, right, you just, it's like death. It's like, oh, somebody killed me. It's like lightning up your leg. Okay, so this is kind of like that. When you have deep emotional pain, it's the same. It's as if you've got this pus-filled sore, and I'm going to brush by it, and you're going to be like, you know, it's going to hurt really bad. Other people, it might be scabbed over, and it might just barely hurt. So you're going to know, you're going to know that I'm, I'm pressing on something that's wounded, Um, If you realize, or even in your life when you leave here, if you realize, wow, I way overreacted to that. (laughs) You know, my, 
These are not rational thoughts that I'm having. I am acting irrationally. You know that you've pressed a wound. Somebody in your life has poked a wound, pressed a wound, and you need to deal with it. So this is my plug for emotional healing. Again, if I begin to poke at something today and, and you need help dealing with it, go to our website and sign up for emotional healing because honestly, I'm really not going to solve the problem from your past today. All I'm doing is acknowledging what we've brought in and how the word of God says not to. But I'm not going to deal with the emotional side of it. We're not going to talk about the emotions that live in your right brain, which is different than what I'm dealing with today. I'm, I'm giving you practical knowledge here in the left side of your brain. So if, if this begins to stir you, I want you to go and get healing. So the other thing I want to tell you, so here's how I'm going to... Um, I'm going to come at this. Just like in your family of origin, we have different roles in this house. So, for example, um, I have more than one role in my family. I, um, I am the daughter of Rhonda and John Thixton. I am the mother of a slew of kids. I am the sister of Jenny Merida. I am the wife of Chris Hansen, right? I have all these different roles in my family. It's the same thing with you guys. Each of us have more than one role. You are a mother and father and a son and daughter and a brother and sister, just like in your natural family. Get what I'm saying? So I'm going to come at this in that way. I'm organizing it that way. So I'm going to touch on being a mother and father in this house. I'm going to touch on being a sister and brother in this house. But I'm going to land heavy on what it's like on, on how we solve, figure things out of being a son and daughter. And the reason why I'm just barely going to touch the mother and father and the brother and sister is because I'm still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> the Lord has helped me out on being a son, or I'm a daughter, being a daughter. <laughs> it's fine. So, um, so let's start there. So, okay. so I want you to ask yourself this question. How am I doing at being a spiritual mother or father in this house? Ask yourself, do I have fears of inadequacy or failure? This can often come from um, not being given the opportunity to fail in a safe environment from your upbringing. This can also come from having overly critical parents, like it's not safe to make mistakes. We can carry that in to how we mother people here. Do I struggle with judgment? Do I think thoughts like, I would never do that. I can't believe she, whatever. This is, just so you know, judgment is often ge a generational curse. I mean, I don't, I don't think that we were like innately born to like judge people. It's, it's learned and it's generational. And, um, but anyway, so you can just begin to think the same thoughts as your parents. Um, it also, judgment can also indicate that shame was used when someone was parenting you, that they would shame you into not doing this anymore. What is wrong with you? Are you, you know, like sending a, a judgment statement when correcting you? So anyway, am I selfish with my time? I think we can all say that we are. But being selfish with your time is not an entity in itself. It often has a root. You guys, you realize that there's a reason why you do everything. It can, it can come from a time when you were controlled, like a period of time where you didn't have say-so in how you managed your time or what you did. And so it's a pushback going, 
It's exerting control back. It's this pushback of going, I don't like feeling out of control. I don't like when people take my time. You know, it's a pushback. It can also come from um, a mother and father that didn't make time for you. But anyway, so these can all be traced back to your family of origin and the wounds and the lies from your, from your childhood. All right, so let's go to how well am I doing at being a brother and sister in this house? It's probably my biggest struggle. Do I, do I fear connection and vulnerability? Do I have fear of joining a connect group? This often speaks of a root of shame. Shame is a deep lie that we believe that we are not worthy of love and belonging. And this is most likely how you felt in your family as well. Do you struggle with jealousy and envy of other people's blessings? Did you guys know that jealousy often comes from a family dynamic of favoritism with you not being the favorite? Because you begin to see someone else being blessed all the time. Someone else is the favorite, and I don't get it, and I don't get it. And there's this revelation that I got when I was, forget where, RTF, I think, talking about. People who struggle with this um, root of jealousy, it's simply because it's a lie that believes that there's not enough to go around. It's like as if there's this pie of blessing. And if Tina got the, pie, the piece of pie of prophecy, you know, she's prophetic, and Shelly, we'll just say I got the piece of pie for being funny, um, you know, and, and Pastor Eric got the pastoral piece of pie. Well, if you got that piece, there's only one piece. There's not a piece for me. There's not enough for me. It's a belief of lack, and what we need to get and get an understanding of is that, is that Tina actually gets a whole pie, and you get a whole pie. And so if Tina is eating her piece of prophecy, you can go, oh, Tina's eating a piece of prophecy? Oh, wait, I have a pie. I bet I have a piece too. It's actually supposed to spur you on to go, oh, if you can do it, I can do it. Instead of this thing of, well, if you can do it, I'll never do it. It means if you can do it, I can do it. So anyway, so it comes from that deep root of lack, of believing there's not enough to go around. So do I feel like, do I isolate myself? Do I run or shut down when I feel hurt or misunderstood? Am I defensive? So often um, the defensive thing can come from a scapegoat mentality, the child that was always blamed for everything. I mean, this is real stuff, you guys. We do this. We've got the favorite. You've got the one that's blamed. You know, you've got the responsible one. It's actually a thing. Like in, I forget, there's some psychological... There's five of them. I forget now, though. So, um, so, so we've just got to ask ourselves, how are we doing with that? And if I'm not doing that well, what do I need to do to m fix it? But I'm not going to solve that problem today. I'm just going to tell you about yourself and move on. <laughs> this is the problem I'm going to solve today. <clears throat> how am I doing at being a son or a daughter? Because just like in a family, we first have to be a son or a daughter. You haven't even figured out that you have a sibling until you're like 18 months old, you know? You're first a son or daughter. And so I'm going to explain this to you. 
like kind of the language that, that I'm going to be using. So Tom said this really well, and we heard it at the One Thing Conference, that um, one man or two men can't father an entire church. Like Tom and Eric cannot be the spiritual fathers of everybody in this house. It just doesn't work. That's called an orphanage. So um, how the leadership structure should work and could work is that Tom and Eric are the fathers over this house, but they father and mother a few, and those people father and mother a few, and those people father and mother a few. And so, but the fathers... And the mothers of each, you know, generation manages their own family. And, um, and so we're trying to shift into that as a church. We're trying to shift into spiritual mothers and fathers and things like that. But today I, I, I'm going to talk about, I'm actually going to talk about, because we've not really functioned that way before. I think we've all seen Tom and Eric as the fathers of this house. And they are the fathers of this house. But they're more like our grandfathers or our great-grandfathers. Um, but I'm going to talk about trust issues that we've had with them and with other leaders in our life. And this might get all uncomfortable. Don't get uncomfortable. It's okay. But do I have trust issues with leadership is the question that I'm going to ask you. Do, you. do you have trust issues? Do you think they're out to get you? And I'm specifically talking about Tom and Eric or a spiritual father that you have. Do I have trust issues with them? On the flip side, do I have a deep need for their approval? Do I fear correction? Do I keep a safe distance from other spiritual fathers that might see the real me and bring correction to me? And I just added this in here because I would consider a famous preacher my spiritual father, but I know I'm not allowed to. So (laughs) do you consider a famous preacher or someone that you don't meet with regularly your spiritual father? Because let me tell you something about spiritual fathers. They're up in your business on purpose because they want to see you grow. They're in your life so that they can encourage you and so that they can correct and rebuke you on your path in the Lord. A father in a natural family, their job is to speak identity, to protect, and to provide for the family. And so if that was something that was lacking in your home, if you had a harsh corrector as a father, um, if you had a father who never encouraged, who didn't speak identity, Um, one that didn't provide for you or that was just untrustworthy and hurt you, you are absolutely going to bring those wounds into this house and you are going to project them on the people who are trying to spiritually parent you. You're going to. It's not, you're going to unless you get healed from it. Unless you begin to take those blinders off and those filters off, you're going to always think that they're out to get you, that they're going to leave you, they're going to abandon you, they're going to turn on you, they're going to hurt you. And that their correction for you is judgment, is what you're thinking. That's what you think is going to happen. They're going to hurt me. And they're they're not for me, is what you begin to believe, because of the perception that we brought in. So I want you to ask yourself this. Do I heed the warnings when Tom and Eric preach? They've warned us about distractions last year. They preached on the fear of the Lord. Talked about the dangers of submitting to Ahab. 
And have we taken that seriously? Are we doing that? If you are doing that, then that's great. And if you're not, I'm not trying to make you feel shame. <laughs> I'm just saying, this is to identify, oh, I think I, hmm, I think I have some father wounds. Do I value feedback that gives me an opportunity to grow? Or do I call it a critical spirit? Listen. Feedback is probably the thing that I want to love. <laughs> but I go, you know, it's hard. It's hard to hear. You know, Shelly, and nobody's ever said this, but it's hard to hear things. This is what I hear. You know, Shelly, you really did sound pretty stupid when you said that. <laughs> but I've never heard that. But it is, ooh, it's hard. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. Feedback is hard saying, okay, I love this, I love this, I love this, I didn't love this, how can we fix it? Doesn't that just sting? Doesn't it just poke your shame, that thing inside of you that's like, oh, I don't want to feel that. I should have done it perfect the first time. There is no room in my life for mistakes or error. I should have done it perfect the first time, and the fact that you have to point it out to me means that I'm a loser, and I'm never going to get this opportunity again. I mean, is that just me? <laughs> or is that you too? Please tell me it's you too. That's what I think. Give me a hand. Give me a hand raise. Yes. Okay. Whew. I'm not alone. <sighs> it would have been one of those moments where I felt stupid for what I said. <laughs> okay. So next question. Ask yourself, do I avoid my spiritual fathers when I know that I failed? Do I go, well, I'm not going to church this week because da-da-da. Not going to meet with my mentor this week because I already know that this happened. No, I don't want it. They're going to ask me. They're going to ask me about this, and I'm going to have to tell them I failed. These are all signs that you have father issues. Sorry. I do feel the shame. I feel it so badly. Will you put this back together for me? Okay. Tom's coming down. Oh, gosh! <laughs> what are you doing? It's up there. He's fixing it. What? Aww. It's okay. Oh, thanks. We'll fix it. Thank you. And if not, you'll buy another. That's right! It's okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, that couldn't have been timed better. But I'm not doing it again. I'm hanging on. But it's because I do this. Okay. I know I'm very animated. Okay, moving on. Where was I? You can tell if you have father wounds if you hate feedback. That's what it was. Um, okay, so I wonder what my next slide says. Almost, almost there, but we'll leave it up there. Okay, so um, one of the ways, if you hate feedback or you hate correction, that is, that is like a, it's, it's a neon flashing sign that says, I have father wounds or mother wounds, you know, parent wounds. So we're going to go to Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5. I'll read it from here. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. 
God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and lived? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best for them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Whew, that's a lot. But this is what sticks out to me about that. If you are left without discipline, you are illegitimate children. That's when you're children, and that's when we are spiritual kids. If your spiritual father, or the fathers of this house, or whatever, don't bring direction, correction, all of that to your life, you're illegitimate. If you reject correction, you're being influenced by an orphan spirit. That illegitimate and orphan, it's that thing of saying, I'm an orphan. Nobody can tell me what to do. Nobody cares enough about me to tell me how to live my life in a way that's godly and good and holy. It's part of it. Church is a family, and we're all up in your business, and that's how it's supposed to be in a good way. In a good way. Because here's the reality. Most of the time we have come into our church family with these gaping wounds from our family, from our family of origin. And again, they didn't mean to, they didn't know any better, we're not upset with them, we forgive them, we love them. If you're having trouble forgetting them, this is again my plug for emotional healing. <laughs> if you can't forgive your earthly parents. But we've come in with these perceptions and it's caused us to have mistrust for each other, for our leaders, for people fathering us, and it's caused us to hate correction. And then here's what happens. There's this weird thing that happens that we think that our leaders or anybody in leadership or anybody that's doing anything for God, they somehow become superhuman. And, like, that's what we think. And we think that, um, that they should be perfect and never make a mistake, and never fail you, and never drop a ball, and never have a bad day, or have a bad mood, or give you a bad look, or whatever, because we go, they shouldn't, they should, they should know better, and I just, I have news for you. Here on earth, there is only bad leadership. That came from the conference. If you are looking for a superhuman leader, that was Jesus, and we missed it. We have earthly people leading us. And so are you going to forgive the humanity of those in authority over you? They're human. They make mistakes. They have a bad day. They drop a ball. They say something backwards, sideways, whatever. Are you going to forgive them? Are you going to love them enough to go to them and go, hey, that hurt. That stung. Did you mean that? Instead of going, oh, 
you know what he said. Hebrews 13.7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 1 Peter 5, 5-7 Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So there's a lot happening here in both of these. But I believe that God is talking directly to us through these two. And I made my own Shelley Hansen version translation of these two meshed together. So this is what I believe that God is saying in these two scriptures. Hey, guys. I know you're super excited about what I'm about to do. And I know you have some great ideas, but I need you to listen. I gave you some great elders who aren't perfect, but they seek me. And I need you to conduct yourself in a way that brings them joy. Because making their job harder actually makes things harder for you. Also, I have put systems in place. I trust these guys. If you stay humble, you will be promoted and heard in my timing, not yours. I care about you and your ideas. Don't be anxious about it. You know, pride says, I think I know what's right. You're doing it wrong. I don't like what you're doing. I'm going to take my ball and play somewhere else. Somebody should have asked me before they made that change. But humility says, I'm going to run your play. I'm going to trust your wisdom. God, what do my leaders say? Because God rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and we are made in his image, and we as humans do that same thing. We do. God rejects the proud, he gives grace to the humble. We're made in his image. Do you ever wonder why sometimes you just go, that just struck me wrong? It's because we resist pride just the same as God does. And we give grace when people are humble. It's just part of, it's, it's a relational phenomenon. But this does not mean, so I am in no way saying that, uh, that we're never going to disagree. And I'm in no way saying that we <clears throat> drink the poisonous Kool-Aid or anything. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I am saying that, that leadership's going to get it wrong. And we are about, and I said this last week, but we're about to start doing some cool stuff here. Do you realize that? There's some really, really cool stuff. Tom's got stuff up, up his sleeve, and Eric's getting revelation like crazy, and we're getting ready to make some changes in the um, children's ministry and things like that. It's going to be really cool because we are preparing for the harvest. We are preparing for God to do what he said he was going to do. He's been saying it for years, 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 tired of talking about it, ready to do it. And we have got to get on board, and we've got to say, you know what? God's going to pour out his spirit whether I get on board or not. God's not waiting on me. He's not waiting on you. He's going to do it. So do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to be someone who says, you know what? Gosh, 
I have had some issues. I did bring in some baggage. I have had a bad attitude with Tom or Eric or Shelly or Mike or Alger or I, whoever, Alex. And I need, I need to repent because I brought that in as my baggage. And I need to leave my baggage at the door because I am ready. I am ready to be a part of a family. I am ready to see what it looks like to have the kingdom of heaven touching earth in my church, to see what it's like to have a kingdom heavenly family, this extended family that we have, doing the mission together, walking together, and doing this thing that God has said that he was going to do here, do you guys want that? Do you want this? Do you want God to pour out his spirit? Do you want the next generation? Do you want Generation Z to be marked as the generation that loves God and that changes a nation? We can be a part of that. Do you want to partner with that? Okay, so we need to repent. That's what I'm thinking. <clears throat> Eric has is, is got a message next week, right? About families as well. And what it looks like. Because again, I realize I just told you what a mess you came in with. And then I'm like, okay, bye. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm good at. I'm an emotional healing facilitator. I'm really good at digging up the muck. And then being like, figure it out. Okay. Um, but that's what we need to do. So if something's stirring in you and you realize, yep, came in with baggage. Yep, I have unforgiveness. Let's pray. Okay. So if you put on some music, Troy. God, you revealed a lot today. Almost more than we can process. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with all of us even as we leave today and help us process all of this foreign language that was said today. God, we just didn't know. We didn't know we came in with baggage. We didn't know we came in with a filter. We didn't know we came in with suspicion and mistrust. But God, we don't want it. We don't want it anymore. God, I don't want to be suspicious of my brothers and sisters. I don't want to be jealous. I don't want to be, um, I don't want to not trust the spiritual fathers and mothers in my life. I don't want to hate feedback. I don't want it. So God, I am asking you with all assurance that you're going to answer all of us, that you're going to answer me. God, forgive me. Forgive us. Forgive us for mistrust, for judgment, for not honoring, for running, for isolating. That's not your kingdom. It's not your kingdom, but I want your kingdom. So God, I pray the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life, in my church's life. So God, I make a commitment to you right now where I say, no matter what, this is my family. This is my family, and I'm sticking it out. I'm staying. I'm staying. I'm staying even though it's hard. I'm staying. And I'm going to work it out. I'm going to work out my relational hurts. I'm going to work out my mistrust. And I'm going to see what you promised. You promised you were going to do this. 
You're going to pour out your spirit. You're going to take a generation that's going to change a nation, that's going to change other nations. I'm partnering with you. I say yes to this house. I say yes to the family you gave me. I say yes to your mission for this place. And God, if you put it on our hearts that we need to go to someone to repent, I pray that we have the courage and the boldness to do it. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us revelation. Give us a humble heart. Humble us, God. God, we love you. Lord, we love you. We believe you. We trust you. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask the altar team and maybe the prophetic team to come up. If you um, are emotionally stirred and you haven't gotten it settled and you need some extra prayer, um, Feel free to come up and do that. But I will end the service.